Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last time in Matthew, we looked at uh, Jesus and the disciples, the three disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John. They, they had gone up the mountain with him in the Mount of Transfiguration. They'd had this glorious experience with Jesus, a kind of a foretaste of heaven, seeing Jesus in all of his glory. But it, it wasn't that they could stay there. They had to come down. They had to come down. Their needs below. There were problems. There were battles. There was pain, anguish, suffering, all these things that were down below. And, and, you know, we have to kind of walk there. We have to kind of be there. I was meditating, thinking about Psalm 23. You know, he says, Yea, uh, you know, uh, going through the valley of the shadow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. He, you know, we, we have to go through those valleys. We walk through them. We don't run through them. We try to, like, if I run really fast, I'll get through this one. But we, it doesn't work that way, does it? We've got to get through, but we just got to keep plodding ahead through the trials and the troubles and the stuff that happens down in the valley. But, but you know, the valleys are where things grow. Way, way up on those mountains, do you see much growing up there? I mean, you get to a certain point where the higher you go, what? Nothing grows up there. You go above the tree line and eventually you get up there where there's like hardly anything at all. But down in the valleys, man, stuff grows. And though we don't like it, God wants us to grow. We don't like the valleys, I should say. So they got down there and there was this boy who was demon-possessed. His father had brought him to the disciples, right? And the disciples, they couldn't do anything for him. So they bring, he brings the boy directly to Jesus who rebukes this demon and, and, and uh, delivers and heals this boy. And it's just people who are amazed at what Jesus can do. And, and again, we talked about how Jesus is, is the, the creator and, and the devil and his demons are their only created beings. So there's really no comparison between the power of the two. We don't want to underestimate uh, Satan and the demonic kingdom, the demonic forces, but in the same... Uh, on the, in the same um, um, it's that turkey, you know, I'm still feeling the effects of it. <laughs> On the same token, uh, we don't want to give him any more credit than he is due to him, right? I think some people, they just think that's all they talk about is Satan this, Satan that. No, let's talk about Jesus this and Jesus that. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The disciples came to Jesus afterward and they said, why, can't, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because they had so little faith. They weren't really trusting in Jesus, and they weren't, their, their faith, he says, your little faith is so little, he says, if you had a, even as big as a mustard seed, you could do incredible things. And, and uh, I wonder, and looking at the context there, perhaps they had forgotten the source, and they were just trying to do it in their own strength. They were trying to go out and, and work without prayer, without fasting, and I, I, I really saw that, that we need to be praying and fasting ahead of battles, not just when we get to the battle, but in preparation before, because they will come. One, one fellow said, to be effective in serving God, we need a personal, continuing relationship with God, not mechanical. There are no shortcuts to spiritual authority. Now today, going on in, uh, <clears throat> in Matthew, another reality of life here on this earth, um, and it's still a little early to be talking about this, but uh, this idea of taxes and obligations and responsibilities. 
It's a factor of life. It's part of life here on earth. But these responsibilities that we have here on earth, but we also have responsibility to God. And so we're going to look at two passages in Matthew and cover both of these. One of them was the temple tax found in chapter 17. And the other, uh, the tax that was to be paid to Caesar and the government, but also the responsibility that we have to God. But uh, what is due to Him, uh, what is due to that we need to give Him. So let's look at verse 24 there in chapter 17. It says, After Jesus and His disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter, and they asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? <clears throat> Doesn't he pay? Now, this particular um, um, account is only found in Matthew, and I wonder if it's because Matthew was this former tax collector. Uh, the next one we'll look at was found in the other, uh, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but uh, this particular one is here, and, and Matthew, the tax collector, he was kind of paying attention. He knew about these kinds of things, you see. And the tax collector, they came down, and the tax collector is like waiting. They, they get back to Capernaum, the tax collector is waiting for them. And I don't know about you, but that makes me kind of nervous. When you get a letter in the mail that says, you know, internal revenue service, you kind of get that in the mail, it makes me, I don't want to open it. I feel a little nervous. Now, we shouldn't feel nervous, right, if we're doing the right thing, right? But they make, us, they make you feel nervous even if you are doing the right thing, I think. I don't know, how do they do that? Why do they do that? They want to keep us all in a state of fear. Listen, this is not where my talk is going here this morning, to be anti-government. The fact that the Scripture says we need to, be, we need to do what the government asks, right? So anyways, this was a temple tax. We're going to talk about the government tax in a little bit, but the temple tax, and this was like a, a tax that was applied to every Jewish man uh, once they reached the age of 20. And um, faithful Jewish men would pay this obligation and, 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 and others would seek to uh, escape the responsibility. So they asked, you know, they asked Peter, what about Jesus? Does he pay that? And Peter says in verse 25, yes, he does. Now, we're not sure if he knew that because of previous uh, years or whatever. Maybe he was just, uh, you know, that was a quick answer. And then he, he goes back and it says that when he got there, uh, when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. And he said, what do you think, Simon? Well, we already know what Simon thinks usually because he's not afraid to speak up. And maybe he spoke out of turn there. But Jesus asked him, he says, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their sons or from their own sons or from others? In other words, you know, if you have a king in a kingdom, where does he get the tax from? Does he tax his own kid? I mean, you know, does that make any sense? Uh, Queen Elizabeth getting taxed from her son? No, she, they're all kind of raking it in. I'm, I'm sorry, I am not mean to go there. <laughs> But the kings didn't collect taxes from their own family. And so where Jesus is going with this, and Peter answers, he says, from others. And then the sons are exempt, in verse 26, Jesus said to him. Then the sons are exempt. In other words, it was his father's house. It's a, a temple, and it was his father's house. So why would the son be required to pay the temple tax, right? Because... You know, the father and the son, he's not going to collect it from the son, you see. And again, it's about who he is. All the Gospels, are, you know, 
And the whole of the scripture really for you and I gets down to who Jesus is, the Son of God. So in one sense, he was exempt. So did he just say, well, no, we don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. In verse 27, he says, but so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch and open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Literally, that means where it says so that we may not offend them. It literally means not to cause others to stumble. And so uh, Jesus, ever the one who would give us an example of what we, what we need to do, he says, we're going to be responsible here, and I'm going to be responsible here, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I want you to do, Peter. But Jesus setting the example. Now, he didn't have to do that, but he did. And as the Son of God, he was exempt, but he he set that example for you and for I. You, see, you think about how many of the things did Jesus do setting an example for you and for I? Did Jesus need to be baptized? No, not really. But he did it so that all righteousness could be fulfilled. But he did it also as an example for you and for I. That we need to be baptized. I, I read in the end of Matthew, it says, you know, we, we, you know, to go and make disciples... Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Part of being a disciple is being, being a baptized. And maybe some of you, you know, have not been baptized yet. And, but Jesus gave us that example. Just his life alone was an example to follow. That's why we study the Word of God so we can see how Jesus lived and we pray in our hearts, Lord, make us more like you. Make me to be more like you. Make my life to be like your life. Of course, in, this, in these bodies, we're never going to be sinless like Jesus was. We're never going to be perfect. But Paul said to, uh, to the people he was writing to in Corinth, he says, you know, follow me as I follow what? The example of Christ, Right? So for us to follow Jesus and live like him. So he set, himself, he set himself as an example here for us to be responsible. And he also paid it for Peter. Someone pointed this out that, yeah, he, he did pay for Peter, but part of this was a foreshadow, he says, of the, of the work of redemption for all men. Jesus, who did not actually owe the price, paid it nevertheless, and at the same time, with the same price, paid for Peter as well. Jesus, when he died upon the cross, did he owe anything? Did he have any debt to pay? Did he have any sins to pay for? Did he have anything to die for? No, he came and, and he did it for you and for me, but as he was doing that, he did it for all of us, for the sins of the whole world, for all who would believe and receive Jesus Christ. But isn't this kind of cool where he, he sends Peter out? He says, Peter, this is the, we're going to do this. We're going to do this thing, right? And so he sends him out to the lake. And Peter, you know, Peter was a fisherman. He kind of knew about it. He, Peter, normally they would use nets, but he tells him to go out and put a line out there because he doesn't want him to catch a bunch of fish. He just wants him to catch one fish. And you can make a lot out of it. Some people have kind of, um, um, kind of, just explained this away, saying, well, Peter, he was just kind of being, you know, saying, well, you just go out and fish and, and catch a big fish, then you go sell it, 
and you'll make enough money to pay this tax. Well, that's not what he said. He said, go out there and you'll find in the mouth of that fish. It was a supernatural thing. He sent him out for this, for this fish, and, and, and we see that, that God will provide. God will provide. Again, I talked uh, last week about the fact that I've been a Christian for over 30 years, and, and I, I can say honestly over and over again, God has provided. God has never let us down. And, and uh, we have uh, been in very desperate straits. We have been to, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, food pantry at the church, uh, you know, in, in years past where we had, you know, we had nothing, but God has always provided one way or another. And, and I believe He will do that too. And if He wants us to do something, He'll provide. He will provide. If He calls us to do it, He will provide what's necessary to do it. Now, on Peter's part, it took some faith, right? And it took some action. He had to go out and do it. Jesus told him to, go, you know, go, throw your line, take the first fish you catch. He could have said, you know what, Jesus, there's no money inside fish. I know fish. We don't know. Maybe he said something. We don't know the rest of the story here, but, but you know, Peter, he's done that kind of thing before, right? We saw how he took Jesus' side. Well, you know, no cross. He could have said, no, no fish, no money in fish. There's no money in fish. You know how many fish I'd have to catch? You know, we, we kind of, we, we need to learn to just be obedient to what God's Word says and then, and then see what He does. That, and that's not just about going out fishing. That's, that's about providing for our daily needs. That's about, you know, going to, to be obedient, to speak to somebody about, about our faith. It's, it's about all the things in life. It's about trying to be what He's called us to be if, if He's called us to do it, He'll give us the strength by His Spirit, by, by Him living within us to do what He's called us to do. Jesus, if He wants us to do something, we need to do it. We need to do it. You think back to, uh, you know, in John chapter 2, when Mary, uh, His mother, was at the wedding in Cana, right? And they had a problem there, right? They ran out of wine. They didn't, they, you know, this uh, celebration was, was going to be derailed. And, and they come to Mary and, and, and she, you know, <clears throat> Mary tells them these words. He says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you about Jesus. Those are good words, you know. Do whatever he tells you. You say, well, he's not speaking to me. He's not telling me anything. Well, I don't know about that. I find that hard to believe. I, what, I, what I do find easy to believe is that we're, we don't listen. But I think he's telling us plenty. He's speaking to us, and, and maybe we're not even opening the word, so how are we going to know what he's saying? Maybe we don't listen because we don't really want to do whatever he tells us to do because we're still on the throne. We're still in charge. We're still the head honcho. But Mary, and you know, Mary, she'd seen him for, what, 30 some odd years. Said, whatever he tells you, do. Do whatever he tells you. And you know, when someone's mother tells you something, my mother-in-law was just here. I'm not going to say any more about that. 
Now, this was a temple tax, and I'm not going to make an issue about this, but, but it was the temple ta- tax to, to, uh, to take care of the needs of the, of the temple. And it was just a way they would, you know, make sure that the walls got painted or whatever they had to do and, and, and take care of the physical place. And, and uh, you know, it was more of a requirement. But we don't have to do that anymore. You know, there's no, there's no church tax. Although, I've heard in the past there was such things as pew rent, right? That's why I got rid of the pews. They were, the rent was too high on those things. I just didn't. I couldn't get into that. So now we have chair rent. Oh, you thought you were just buying them? No, no, you got to rent them too. You got to keep paying. We're going to collect that at the door. Barbara's going to collect that, I think. She's just so sweet. You won't mind giving it to her, right? She's looking at me and she's not happy. You know, I, I remember being uh, at a church, you know, when I was a kid, it was, um, it was, uh, they, had, they had pages of the people's names of the members of the churches, and they had numbers of what they were supposed to be giving. I think that's like a tax, right? I don't know where they came up with the numbers or whatever, but they had the numbers there, and then, you know, they could check it off, and people, everybody had access to all those numbers, well, I'm glad to say that I don't have any idea who gives what. I only know what I'm supposed to give. I only know what, what God is, you know, calling me to be a part of this fellowship and, and that I need to support and be responsible. But I do it, and the New Testament makes it clear, I do it because I want to do it, not because I have to. Let me say that one more time. I do it because I want to, not because I have to. But... It's also, it's, a, it's also a responsible thing, isn't it? To be responsible. I mean, you know when you come in here, if it's warm in here, it didn't just get that way. You know, we have to put oil in the tank and, and you know, we're, we're working on different parts of the building. It's just being responsible to take care of what God has given us. And I, and I have to say this, you know, two years ago we moved here and we were at the school for I don't know how long. Again, Barbara can tell you. Um, it was a long time, but the responsibility level was like about here on the graph, right? And, you know, hey, if you spill something on the floor, no problem. Just go home. Somebody else will clean it up. Oh, the place needs painting. Oh, don't worry about that. Oh, the lights. So oh, we left all the lights on. That's oh, okay. They'll turn them off. So we're like down here. But when, you, when we moved to this place, we thought we've been wanting it for so long, Right? So long, we got to have this place of our own. And then we get the place, and you know what happened? And the responsibility level goes up like this. And, I, and I'm happy to say it. I, I'm not saying that to make anybody feel guilty. I'm happy to say that God has provided for us. God has provided for us. And, and God's people, you and me and all of us, I, I've seen you know, that, that, that we have been responsible with what he's given to us. It was a little, you know, scary when we made this step. You know, stepping out of the boat. Are we going to be able to do this thing? It's a big step, but God has been faithful. And, and, and I believe God's people have been responsible. So that's a good thing, right? But God provides, and when He calls us to be responsible, it's all, it's all what He's given to us anyways, right? And, and when we give, He pours it back to us, and we give more, and He pours it back to us. 
It's, it's when we're holding stuff and our hands are close tight when, when we can't receive that blessing from God. That's why Malachi talks about testing God to see. You, you, you give, give, you test Him and see. You'll see He'll, he'll blow you away as you give to Him. Now let's talk about the taxes to the government. Because, uh, you know, that, that is, we're coming up to the end of the year, and it's some of the, some of the things we start to think about here. Let's, let's turn ahead to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 and verse 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. Matthew 22 verse 15 says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, that is Jesus, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So you have these two groups of people, again, um, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And these two groups of people didn't even get along. They didn't even like each other. In fact, they hated each other because they had such diverse views. The, the Pharisees, they hated Rome. They didn't, they, you know, they, they were so disgusted, they, 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 they wanted to be out from under the, the heavy hand of Rome and the taxation of Rome. And, and the last thing they wanted was to, you know, pay taxes to the Roman government. But on the other hand, the Herodians, if you, look at, if you think of their name, Herodians, they were all about Herod and, and they were all about the Roman government. So they were happy and they felt like there was some kind of protection there. They loved Rome. So these two groups getting together, and uh, it's kind of strange where when you, when you have an enemy, uh, two enemies can get together to fight that other enemy. It's kind of strange how that happens, but it does happen, and we see it there, and, we, and it happens in life as well. People who don't even get along, well, when they find a cause to fight against, all of a sudden they're going to talk to each other. But they come to Jesus, and they try to flatter him like he couldn't see through it. Look at uh, that last uh, part of verse 16. They said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the word of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Well, are those things true? Yeah, they're all true. We know they're all true. He is a man of integrity. He does teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. He isn't swayed by men. He pays no attention to who they are. But they think if they're going to butter him up, and, you know, sometimes I wonder if we do that where, we, you know, we, we, we kind of try to butter God up, and then we're going to bring our request, or we're going to, we're, you know, uh, do something of that nature. But the truth is, he calls them hypocrites later on. Why? Because they, all those things were true, but they didn't believe those things. And so they're hypocrites because they were just saying them, and they didn't really believe them. Hypocrisy, you know, putting on a show, putting on an act, saying something that isn't true for you. They were trying to trap him. Look at verse 17. He says, they said to him, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're trying to trap him. Now, if he said no, what would happen? probably be arrested. The Herodians, they would report him. He's a revolutionary. Well, he is a revolutionary, but they were trying to trap him on that level. If he said yes, what would happen? The Pharisees, 
And a, a huge portion of the populace would think that, you know, he's a, a pro-Rome person. And they would be against him. But of course, Jesus sees through all this, as he sees through all our nonsense as well. In, in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus would not entrust himself to them, to people, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He knows all about us. He knows all about us. He knows all about you. He knows all about games that you and I play. He sees through it all. We you know, try to work things. We try to manipulate. We try to uh, make things work out better for us. And that's kind of like our, our sinful nature, wanting to get it together for us, for me. He knows all about that stuff. So, you know, why do we even try? Well, because we're, what was that word? Invincible ignorance? We're ignorant. We are ignorant. We are. That's why, you know, the, the, the man who, you know, just goes and, and says, you know, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't, he didn't pray like the other guy did. You know, all these fancy words and, and, you know, cut through all that nonsense. How smart we think we are, you know. But his answer is, is incredible, isn't it? His answer, you know, it, it's like, a, you know, something that Solomon would come up with, of course, Jesus is the one who gave Solomon that wisdom anyways as being as God, but, you know, it's that kind of an answer. He says, he says uh, in verse 18, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me, a, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? He says, let's see the coin. You know, first he confronts them, and then he says, okay, get the coin. Let's see the coin. Now this coin, uh, the coin of that, of that time, the denarius that they brought to him, on one side there was a portrait of the emperor Tiberius, who was, uh, and it would say these words underneath, highest priest. And on the other side of the coin, it said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Of course, at that time, you know, they thought the, the Caesars were divine, that they were gods. But the NIV study Bible says the coin was issued by Tiberius, Tiberius and was used for paying tax to him. He issues the coin so that it can come back to him. It's all about, it's all about making the money, obviously. But Jesus says, let's look at that coin. And, and then he asks them, whose picture's on there? And, and verse 21, they replied, Caesar's. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Both require response and responsibility. Both require responsibility. Both political, we have both political and we both have spiritual responsibilities as well. I kind of uh, see here, and I, I don't know if you noticed this though, the distinction between Caesar and God. The Caesars thought they were gods, but Jesus made, makes it clear, give to God what is God's. They're, they're not in the same camp. One is a king, one is a ruler, yes, but the other one is God. 
And though it's said on the coin, you know, son of the divine Augustus and the highest priest or whatever, you know, it's, you know he, didn't even, he didn't even give any credence to that whatsoever. Give to God what is God's. David Guzik says this, that Jesus affirmed that the government makes legitimate requests of us and we are responsible to God in all things, but we must be obedient to government in matters civil and national. The coin, this coin had Caesar all over it. So he says, give it back to Caesar. Give it back to him. Caesar was all over it. Uh, Barclay says these words about you and I as Christians. He says, every Christian has a, a double citizenship. He's a citizen of the country in which he happens to live. To it, he owes many things. He owes the safety against lawless men, which only a settled government can give. He owes all public services. So we have this kind of thing. Yes, our citizenship is in heaven, the Bible declares. But we're also citizens here. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. But as people in this world, we're still required to pay up. There are these fringe groups. I don't know if you've heard about them and say, well, you know what? We're not required to pay anything. And where do those guys end up? In jail. Jesus never said, you know, don't ever pay your taxes. Jesus never said, don't obey the laws. Uh, God's word says that as citizens, we need to set that example. Now, does that mean that, that the governments are perfect? That every government is going to be perfect? No. But Paul says in Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Peter says it too. Now, you know, we, we saw Peter in the, in the first uh, account. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will by, that by doing good you should silence the, the, the ignorant talk of foolish men. We need to do what's right. We, we kind of think, uh, you know, part of it, you know, we think we're above all these things. But, no, we need to do what's right. Now, if the government, we, we see in the book of Acts, if the government asks you to do something that goes directly against God's word, there is the principle of higher authority, right? And they said, you know, when they said, we don't want you, we command you, don't talk anymore in the name of Jesus, don't do that anymore at all. What did, they, what did they say? Whether it's right to obey you or God, you think about that, but we're going to obey God. There is a principle of higher authority. If your government asks you to do something that is immoral, that is wrong biblically, there is a place for that. But, you know, but, but to say that that's true about because you know, uh, everybody in our government is not moral, they're not moral people, so I don't need to obey any laws, no, we need to do what's right. We need to pay our taxes and give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But we also need to give to God what is God's. Some people use those verses to just talk about paying the taxes and they kind of like uh, quickly go over the second part. But I think the second part is more important than the first part. Give Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Give to God. 
what is God's. In Genesis, it tells us that we're created what? In the image of God. So God's image is all over us. Give back to God what belongs to Him. One commentator says that the human soul bears the imprint of God's image, though marred by the fall, and so should be given back to its maker. You and I, we're in the image of God, and, and for us to give ourselves to Him, we, we owe our, our, our whole lives, we owe, we owe it all to Him anyways. All to Him I owe. So, we have different taxes, we have different obligations in this life, we have different responsibilities in this life, and, and uh, I think the Lord wants us to be responsible in all areas of life. But in the end, our greatest obligation is to God. Our greatest obligation is to God, to give ourselves completely to Him. One, one last thing I want to mention um, that David Guzik, he's, he points out, and this is kind of ironic. He says that had the Jews rendered unto God His due, they would never have had to render anything to Caesar. In New Testament times, they would have never endured the occupying oppression of the Roman Empire if they had been obedient to their covenant with God. And you think about that. I was thinking about that in terms of our, our nation as well. The further we get away from God, the worse it gets. You know, if, if our whole country... Now, I mean, this takes a little bit of, of, you know, thinking. But if our whole country was following after Jesus and walking with Jesus... Do you think our taxes would go down? Yes, they would. Why? You wouldn't need so much police. You wouldn't need so, you know, uh, people would be uh, helping one another, giving to one another. The taxes would go down because, the, you know, when, when, when they had these revivals, these major revivals in, uh, in places like Wales, you know, the police had nothing to do. They just sat there. We got nothing to do. And these are documented when you read about the history of revivals. Give to God what's God. If, we, if the whole nation were, were, if we were giving to God what belonged to Him, things would be different in our country. But again, we have been drifting away from that slowly, slowly, but surely. And we're going to pay the price. Uh, it says in the book of Hosea, you know, you sow to the wind, what? You're going to reap the whirlwind. It says, when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and they went away. They left him and went away. Uh, should it be that they would go away and do what he said? And for you and I to go away and do what he said. Let's close with Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we'll read that and we'll close. God's calling each one of us to be responsible. Responsible citizens, but also responsible spiritual, spiritually and, and giving to God what is God's, which is our, our very selves, our very lives, our very beings. Verse uh, 1 in Romans chapter 13, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. In our country... We have the right to vote, and, and we can change things by the, how we vote. 
but God uses all that, I believe. And says the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. And he is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why also you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Verse 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Give everyone what you owe him. Yeah, we need to pay our taxes. We need to do what we need to do as, as citizens of this country, but we need to give God what we owe him, and that's our very lives, our very selves, each one of us.